Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures for the week of Second Advent. For the week of Second Advent. Now, you might be joining this program for the first time. We go through the daily lectionary readings from Sunday to Saturday, beginning on Sunday. And we are in Second Advent. What does that mean? We are in the season of Advent, which is four weeks long, which prepares us for the incarnation or the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas Day, December 25th. Always December 25th, as you know. So we are preparing ourselves for that. Now, in our churches on Sunday morning, the scriptures, the Sunday scriptures, the weekend scriptures speak to the preparation for the coming of the Lord. So they'll have scriptures about Mary or scriptures about John the Baptist, who is his cousin and um, gets him ready for the coming of the Lord and about the birth of Christ itself. And then, of course, we celebrate uh, Christmas Day uh, with Jesus's birth. Now, in the lectionary, we saw last time that we spoke about Amos and Second Peter and Jude, and we continue our journey into the Gospel of Matthew. This program, we will look at Amos, we will continue our work with Amos, and then we'll go to Haggai. Now, Amos and Haggai are what we call minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They have a significant number of chapters to them, particularly Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, okay? Now, the minor prophets have less chapters. They're not any less significant. They're just smaller chapters, and that's why they call them that. And there are 12 of them. Amos is quite famous. Then we'll be looking at Revelation. Back to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and written by John the Apostle, who also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the letters, and the Gospel of John. And we will continue with Jesus' journey as he prepares for his death in Matthew 26. We'll be looking at Matthew 22 and Matthew 23 and the beginning of Matthew 24. Okay? All right. Are you ready? You may want to get your Bible out. A lot of times I listen to the program while I'm driving in the car, so it's more of an audio feature for me. But we have a video feature, as you may be looking at. And uh, get your Bible out like I have mine out and follow along with me. Amos chapter 6, 1 to 14. As you can see, the scriptures are in this post listed for you. I try to read them on a daily basis. Sometimes I have to double up. Sometimes I have to triple up. But I try to read them on a regular basis. And if I've missed a couple of days, I'd like to read the preceding days so I can get the flow of the text for that particular day. Amos chapter 6, woe to the complacent, woe to you who are complacent in Zion, verse 1 of chapter 6, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Calneh and look at it. Go there to Great Hamath, and then go down to Gath and Philistina. Are you better than those kingdoms? Was their land larger than yours? So he is dealing with those people that are complacent and wanting them to put their trust in the Lord, wanting them to put their hope in the Lord, okay? Now, remember, the prophet is speaking to the people at that time. He's not thinking about us. 
The Word of God does have future implications, but those that were writing it were mouthpieces to the kings usually and to the people to tell them what God was saying at that time to them. Look at, and so enjoy that, uh, enjoy that scripture. Look at what he says in 12b, 612b. But you have turned, turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. So the prophet tells them the truth. He tells them what God says to him. God tells them this is the situation that's going on. And oftentimes the prophet will speak in a way to turn the people from the wrongdoing to the Lord. Chapter 7, 1 through 9. This is what the Lord, sovereign Lord showed me. Verse 1. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. He had dried up the deep, the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. So if he had not relented, according to the prophet, he would have destroyed them completely. This will not happen either. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. And with my sword, I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam. So there's judgment when the people of God do not do what God says. He sets up a plumb line. He sets up standards. He sets up the law. They had the law. They had the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 5 and Exodus chapter 20. He set it up for them, but they were not obeying him. There's judgment. And this uh, prophet Amos is announcing it. Chapter 8, 1 to 14. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, a basket of ripe fruit? The Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung elsewhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, all right, so he's telling them what they've done wrong, and based on what they've done wrong, what he's going to do. Those are called consequences. Now, when you're reading through this, you get the feel for what the prophet is doing at that time. When you think about it today, you're thinking, am I obeying the Lord? Am I doing what he tells me? Am I submissive to him? Am I reaping, or alternatively, am I reaping the consequences of my disobedience? Am I reaping the consequences of my wrongdoing? Am I reaping the consequences of not listening to the word of the Lord? Chapter 9. I saw the Lord standing by the altar. It's a magnificent ability that God gives these prophets to, to speak. Smash the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Cut off the heads of all the people. Ah, those who are left. I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away. None will escape. The Lord, verse 5, the Lord Almighty, 
He who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live and it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile and sinks like the river in Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He can do anything. The Lord is supernatural. The Lord is powerful. This is why people want to have a fear of the Lord. I speak about this almost every week with you. You want to listen to the word of the Lord. You want to do what he says. He can use all kinds of means to bring his wrath against us and his judgment. Let's not have that happen, okay? So he says in verse 10 of chapter 9, All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. God's not going to do anything. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I may not be doing what God says, but he's not going to do anything. The prophet Amos is responding to that. Those people that think that God's not going to do anything, that he doesn't care, he's not looking, he's not interested, he's far, far away. No, he's very interested in what we do. It's important what we do and what we do not do. Haggai, all right, turn your scriptures to the right. And Haggai is, or Haggai, some people say Haggai. I like to say Haggai, but it might be Haggai. Chapter 1, 1 to 15. This is in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord says. The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. This is the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai, uh, verse 3. It's time. Is it time? Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? This is after the destruction for the Babylonians. His house, the temple, had been destroyed, which was his will because of the disobedience of the people. Second uh, Kings 25 and Second Chronicles 36, you might reference. But why are your house is fine and mine's not? This is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. That's a good, wise choice for all of us. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and will be honored. So I need you, people of Israel, to take care of my house by doing these things. So what happened was they eventually they rebuilt the temple of the Lord so that God would be honored. Haggai, or Haggai chapter 2, 1 through 9. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, remnant, uh, governor of Judah, to Joshua, to the high, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look now? This is what I coveted with you, verse 5, when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is a beautiful word from the Lord. I am with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. This is a beautiful uh, text right here. This is what the Lord says. Verse 7. I will shake all the nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. So the glory of the Lord is going to be present. He says the silver is mine, the gold is mine. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. 
and in this place I will grant peace. So now we're looking at a very positive view from God and a very supportive view of God, okay? So read Amos, and you might want to read other scriptures besides Amos if you're reading your Bible besides the one that's listed in your program. So um, these are wonderful scriptures about the restoration of the temple, and Amos is about eh, the people aren't doing the right thing and God is calling them out. Revelation, the last book of the Bible. You may have a understanding of the book of Revelation. It's not an easy book, to be honest. Uh, it is a fairly difficult book. Uh, it assumes a lot. It assumes a tremendous amount of prior knowledge that the individual must have. Chapter 1, 1 through 8 is a beautiful text, and so is chapter 1, 9 to 16. So enjoy reading those. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, chapter 1, verse 5. Beautiful line. Look, he is coming in the cloud with the clouds, verse 7. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And then in verse 8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And so we see the glory of the Lord. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, verse 1. And in verses 9 to 16 of chapter 1, you see the Son of Man. Now, this is the glorified Son of Man. This is the glorified Jesus. This is obviously post-resurrection, post-ascension. So what does he look like? And it has a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, description of him in verse 13, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flaming fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Do not be afraid, verse 18. I am the living one. I was dead, so we know it was Jesus. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever, so he has an eternal existence. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is going to be the final judge, and he has all the power. In chapter 28 of Matthew, which is the last chapter of Matthew, Jesus says at the end of that chapter, I, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God Almighty gave him that authority, his Father, and now he has the, all the authority and he holds the keys of death in Hades. Every single person will be judged by Christ. And so this is a beautiful, chapter 1 is a beautiful example and description of what he looks like. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, we have the churches that he is speaking to. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. To the angel of Smyrna, uh, of the church in Smyrna, write. Verse 8. To the church in uh, Pergamum. 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 There it is. Pergamum. Chapter uh, 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church at Pergamum, write. Uh, 2.18. To the uh, angel of the church of Theratira, write. Chapter 3, 1 through 6, which is in your post, the last one on Sunday, on Saturday, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. And then there's a couple more at the end of chapter 3. So he's speaking to the churches. Wouldn't that be amazing if Jesus wrote our churches a letter? But these are seven churches, the seven churches, and he is speaking to them. Okay? Now, look at verse 4 of chapter 2. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
He is challenging them. He is reproving them. He is correcting them. To him who overcomes, verse 7, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. So he's identifying who he is. He is a person that was dead, and now he's alive. So the idea that Jesus is still dead is absurd from the Bible's point of view. Be faithful, verse 10, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's the crown you want. You want the crown of life. Okay? Verse 12, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Okay, I know where you live. So Jesus sees everything that's going on. Jesus is the divine judge. Jesus is here to significantly affect our lives by us being complicit and willing to do his will. When we do not do his will and we do not do what he wants, he responds in a negative fashion. Okay, this is a good example of God speaking to his people in the first century. Look at... uh, 18 through 29 of chapter 2. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. We saw that in chapter 1. Verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. That's not good. He gave her an opportunity. Patience. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will pay each of you according to your deeds. So we need to pay attention to these words. We need to listen to these words. Now, the words don't obviously apply to us in the 21st century, okay? Not specifically, They specifically apply to them. But after we pray and study and receive instruction on what these mean, then we think and reflect upon them in terms of our own lives. Chapter 3, 1 through 6. I will never erase his name, this is verse 5, from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Now that's what you want. You want Jesus to acknowledge you. You want Jesus to support you. You want Jesus on your side. You do not want to deny Jesus. You want to accept Jesus. You want to do his will. You want to honor him. You want to speak up for him. You may be persecuted for it. But it's better to be persecuted in this very short life and suffer than suffer eternally for not speaking up for him or or denying him or going in an opposite direction from his will. Now, notice Judas and Peter. Judas did not repent. Peter did repent. Peter repented and was saved because he denied Christ. Judas was a traitor and turned him in. He had an opportunity to repent. He did not, committed suicide, and he perished. The book of Revelation, the opening chapters are excellent. Read them carefully. Let's continue in our journey with Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, starting in verse 33, 22, 33, 22, 33. Oh, this is, this is good. Uh, 23, I'm sorry, 22, 23. 
All right, the marriage of the resurrection. That's actually pretty difficult. I was looking at the ahead. The marriage of the resurrection. Uh, kind of crazy stuff. Uh, and sometimes he gets just gets crazy questions. You know, he gets crazy questions. Now, here's a key question. Teacher, verse 36. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment and the second is like it unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the best thing that you can do in your life, literally, is to love God with all of your being. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your heart. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He says in verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the most important thing. So at the beginning of this day, we've got on Monday, we've got the marriage of the resurrection. And then on Tuesday, we've got the greatest commandment and whose son is the Christ. So again, he's arguing with them. He is jostling with them. They are asking him questions. He's, Matthew refers, as a Jewish man, refers back to the Old Testament. They're not comprehending what he's saying. And then in 27, I mean 23, is a scathing, scathing review of the Pharisees. Scathing. And he's telling us what not to do by telling them that he is very upset with what they are doing. So when I read the chapter like that, I don't become judgmental. I, I go, am I doing this that Jesus is reproving them for? That Jesus is upset? He uses the words, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. How would you like Jesus to call you that? That's rough. So what you want to do is you're reading through chapter 23. What are ways that I am not doing what God's calling me to do? Or I identify as a Pharisee. I identify as someone that's just like them. When you see that in yourself, then you want to repent. You want to acknowledge it. You want to repent. And you want to turn and go the opposite direction. You want to listen to what Jesus is saying and obey him. Chapter 24 begins the section on the signs at the end of the age. Okay, So we have this incredible chapter in 23 where he's really dealing with the problems of the Pharisees, which he's had since the beginning of his ministry. He really strongly condemns them and their actions because their actions are not of the Lord. And then secondly, we have the signs. Chapter 24 is another fairly difficult chapter because he's predicting the end of the age. Now, is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans, beginning in 66? Or is he talking about the very end, which has not happened yet? Scholars have a hard time uh, dealing with this. Let me read two verses and then we, uh, three verses. Because of the increase of wick wickedness, is chapter 24, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stand firm, persevere, do not give up. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So everybody's been debating for a very long time when the end will come. What you and I need to do is stand firm to the end. Stand firm. Persevere. Do not give up. Do not quit. You will be saved. A lot to think about in Revelation, quite eclectic. We got two minor prophets. We've got Amos and Haggai. We've got the book of Revelation, which is a challenge. 
And then we've got Matthew's gospel. So a lot of these scriptures for this particular week are, are challenging. Why are they challenging in Advent? Because we want to prepare for the coming of the Lord. We want to look at what we're doing. We want to repent as needed. And we want to prepare ourselves. So there are scriptures that challenge us to prepare ourselves for something that God is going to do. So that when it happens, we want to be able to see it. I pray that you'll have a very holy Lent and that you'll take the time during this holy season to prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. Next week, we'll look at fourth Advent and... Well, third Advent, and followed by fourth Advent, then Christmas Day. So we've got a lot of beautiful readings that are coming up. God bless you, and have a wonderful week. See you next time.